I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, August 28th. This is an election update from Post Reports. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, Dan, describe for me exactly what it was like on this last night of the Republican National Convention. Well, the most striking thing, I think, was the degree to which the Trump campaign just simply appropriated the White House as a campaign backdrop. Dan Boltz is a senior political correspondent for The Post. Gathered here at our beautiful and majestic White House, known all over the world as the People's House, we cannot help but marvel at the miracle that is our great American story. No president has ever done this. The fact is, I'm here. What's the name of that building? It's in violation of all of the traditions and and perhaps illegal what they did. To me, one of the most beautiful buildings anywhere in the world. And it's not a building, it's a home as far as I'm concerned. But they went ahead and did it anyway. Not even a house, it's a home. It's a wonderful place with an incredible history. But it's all because of you. It looked beautiful. The White House is a beautiful place. But in the past, people who have been in the White House, whether they are the president or the people who work for them, who have any involvement in the campaign, have have literally set up separate operations, a separate fax machine, a separate phone line. We know that if you're a member of Congress, you can't call people and raise money in your congressional office. You have to go somewhere else that is separate from that. This was a complete blurring of the lines by the president in in the most flagrant way imaginable. The South Lawn was packed with people. The fireworks that followed, which included spelling out Trump 2020 in the sky over the Washington Monument was quite unbelievable actually to, to look at it. And at the same time, just outside the White House in the Black Lives Matter Plaza, you had demonstrators and protesters. Jarring as it seemed, you had those two events, one beautifully staged and the other the real raw emotion of people protesting about racial injustice. You had all of that colliding last night as both symbolically and and in reality what this campaign right now is about. Together we will write the next chapter of the great American story. For the last two weeks, two wildly different national conventions have taken place back to back. And it was just, frankly, shocking to see how different those images could be. You know, coming out of the Democratic convention, there is a sense that this is a country that is being rocked by systemic injustice and racism and a fundamental disbelief in science and public health policy, and that that is what is going to bring on an apocalyptic future. And then coming out of this week with the Republican National Convention, you see the sense that America is being driven into lawlessness and this focus on chaos in cities and protests and what that means and unrest and a feeling that President Trump is the only person who can bring back a sense of law and order. So after watching and reporting on both of them, what was the feeling that you were left with? 
My main feeling is that these two candidates and these two parties are talking about two strikingly different Americas. In one area, they agree, which is the significance of this election. And both sides agree that if the other side wins, there is an apocalyptic future for the state of the country. The worst pandemic in over 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s. So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? And their vision of what that apocalypse would look like is fundamentally different. There is violence and danger in the streets of many Democrat-run cities throughout America. This problem could easily be fixed if they wanted to. Just call. We're ready to go in. We'll take care of your problem in a matter of hours. Just call. In comparing the two conventions, one thing I would say is that in addition to projecting the diversity of the country that the Democrats did and the focus on racism and racial justice or injustice, the other focus that they wanted to put forward was the severity of the pandemic and the degree to which Joe Biden would handle that differently and, in their view, more responsibly than President Trump has done. And what we saw this week at the Republican convention was certainly a much greater focus on the chaos and the violence that has come with the protests over the police shootings of of unarmed black men. And that any mention of the pandemic is one of a success story of President Trump talking about how great we're doing in response to coronavirus rather than in acknowledgement of the failures. Right. I mean, it was striking that when Melania Trump made a comment about the lives being disrupted and, and expressing sympathy for people who have lost loved ones, that it was so notable at the convention as opposed to something that would be a kind of an ordinary thing. President Trump, I think, had one paragraph in his speech on Thursday night. We will defeat the virus end the pandemic, and emerge stronger than ever before. But for the most part, you're right, that they're, they're talking about it as if it is something mostly in the past. We are delivering life-saving therapies and will produce a vaccine before the end of the year. And to the degree it is not, or maybe even sooner, there is a vaccine that's going to arrive very, very quickly. Before the end of the year, he said. Well, but Dr. Fauci has said perhaps by the end of the year there will be a, a vaccine. But the president is, you know, is, is rushing that in part to give people hope who want hope. But will he be able to deliver it? I, I don't know. And the other reality is. While we are in the middle of this, he is not encouraging the kind of behavior that the scientists say would help to contain this more rapidly. Which was on display at the RNC where you saw so many audience members sitting right next to each other. The masks were not uniform at best. And then it did seem like the audience that was there for President Trump's speech was not one that was particularly concerned about the pandemic. No, I mean it was a, it seemed like a deliberate effort to say we're getting through this and we're going to be fine and I was struck by how few people actually wore a mask. I mean it was it was pretty shocking given how close people were sitting and for the length of time that they were sitting next to one another. 
I want to focus a little bit more on President Trump's speech itself and specifically how he talked about Joe Biden, because I thought it was really interesting that even though many of the criticisms of Biden from the left are that that he's not far enough to the left, that he's not liberal enough, that he has a lot of policy platforms that hew more conservative, when you hear from President Trump, he's made out to be really a radical, a socialist, a lot of things that I think were really surprising to hear. Well, the strategy, obviously, is to tie Biden to the left wing of the Democratic Party. The truth is that the Democratic platform this year is more liberal than platforms have been in the past. They're also trying to suggest that whatever you may know about Joe Biden's record, he is a weak nominee and would be a weak president and would essentially turn over his presidency to the left wing of the party. If Joe Biden doesn't have the strength to stand up to wild-eyed Marxists like Bernie Sanders and his fellow radicals, and there are many, there are many, many, we see them all the time, it's incredible actually, then how is he ever going to stand up for you? He's not. And it's just really shocking to see how President Trump was describing these protests, uh, talking about protesters as anarchists and agitators and lawbreakers when they are protesting racial injustice and the president just didn't acknowledge that or basically lied about that. The Republican Party condemns the rioting, looting, arson and violence we have seen in Democrat-run cities all like Kenosha. Minneapolis, Portland, Chicago, and New York, and many others, Democrat run. Well, I think what what was missing was any acknowledgement of, let's say, Kenosha, which has erupted this week, any acknowledgement of what the triggering event was. And, and that was the shooting of Jacob Blake, which was captured on video. That's what set off the protests. And the president talked about protests and violence and lawlessness without ever expressing any sympathy for the victim, um, who fortunately is not, you know, was not killed, but is at this point paralyzed. Um, so it's, it's, it's as if he is, he is starting the conversation a long way away from the, the root causes of what have triggered these protests. And, and that, you know, that's a fundamental missing piece of the argument that he's dealing with. So given that message that that President Trump and Republicans are trying to send about Biden and how they believe that he's going to relinquish power to the more radical end of the Democratic Party, with that, along with this split screen of what's been happening in Kenosha and the protests there, do you think that this image of lawlessness in America and Biden being unable to control the chaos and unrest, do you think that that is something that is actually going to take hold and be salient for voters over the next couple of months? Well, we're going to have to watch and, and see. I mean, there is some evidence already, not overwhelming at this point, but there's some evidence that attitudes and, and opinions about the Black Lives Matter movement have shifted somewhat from June after the protests that followed the killing of George Floyd 
to today. And we can't factor in what's happened in Kenosha this week because it's too soon. But the degree to which people are um, not as supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement, the more the possibility is that the message of chaos and violence and lawlessness that the Trump campaign and the president are arguing could begin to take hold. And if it takes hold in places like Wisconsin or Minnesota or Pennsylvania or Michigan, those states which are obviously crucial to the outcome of the election, and two of those states being epicenters of the killings and protests that have followed those killings, that might be enough in the end to shift the election, given how close those states were four years ago. So when it comes to the next 10 weeks before Election Day, what should we expect to see from President Trump and from Joe Biden next? I mean, let's start with the president. He was quite clear last night where he's heading. Um, A, it's that Biden will turn the country over to the left wing, and B, that the lawlessness, the violence in the streets that you are seeing will get worse and potentially come to your neighborhood. The Biden campaign will be continuing to focus as much effort as they can on the coronavirus pandemic and the degree to which the president, in their estimation, has mishandled it. There is receptivity to that, as we know, because in the survey research data, uh, the judgment about how President Trump has handled it has been very harsh, and it got worse between March and the middle of summer. They also want to talk about racial injustice. It is very vital to the core of the Democratic Party that that be a part of the message. Where they're potentially conflicted is they also, Joe Biden is trying to get some of those white working class voters who went for Trump in 2016 to vote for him this time around. And so he's going to have to figure out how he deals with the violence that has accompanied the peaceful protests. Dan Boltz is a senior political correspondent for The Post. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.